Hey, podcast family. I hope everyone is doing well. In this session, we're going to cover sickle cell disease in pregnancy. It's a complicated issue, but management has really come quite far from even when I trained, and that wasn't that long ago. So this is part one of sickle cell disease in pregnancy. Sickle cell disease is a group of inherited single-gene autosomal recessive disorders caused by the sickle gene which affects hemoglobin structure. Sickle cell disease has its origin in sub-Sahara Africa and the Middle East. It is most prevalent in individuals of African descent as well from the Caribbean, the Middle East, parts of India and the Mediterranean and even South and Central America. The term sickle cell disease includes sickle cell anemia and the heterozygous conditions of hemoglobin S and other clinically abnormal hemoglobins like hemoglobin C and even thalassemias like beta thalassemia. Hemoglobin S combined with normal hemoglobin, which is hemoglobin A, is known as sickle trait and is represented with the letters AS. This is an asymptomatic carrier state except for a possible increased risk of urinary tract infections and microscopic hematuria. Sickle cell disease is actually the most common inherited condition worldwide. Now, the pathophysiology of sickle cell disease is a consequence of polymerization of the abnormal hemoglobin in low oxygen conditions. This leads to the formation of rigid and fragile sickle-shaped red blood cells. These cells are prone to increased breakdown, which causes the hemolytic anemia and the vaso-occlusion in the small vessels that's part of the sickle cell pain crises. Now, as it relates to obstetrics, sickle cell disease is associated with both maternal and fetal complications, and it's associated with an increased incidence of perinatal mortality, premature labor, fetal growth restriction, and acute painful crisis during pregnancy. Some studies have also described an increase in spontaneous abortion, antenatal hospitalization, maternal mortality, and delivery by cesarean section there also seems to be an increased rate of thromboembolic events in pregnant women with sickle cell disease, and we'll cover that a little bit further on in the podcast. Also, remember, because most of these women have a functional autosplenectomy, they are also at increased risk of infection. Lastly, an increased risk of preeclampsia and pregnancy-induced hypertensive disorders have been described in some studies. Look, before we get into the specific issues during antenatal care, intrapartum, and postpartum management, we have to review some very important issues that can be addressed at the preconception or the prenatal office visit. The assessment for chronic diseases in these patients must be done ideally before the patient conceives. Screening for pulmonary hypertension with echo is one of those tests. The incidence of pulmonary hypertension is increased in patients with sickle cell disease and it's associated with increased mortality. A tricuspid regurg jet velocity that's more than 2.5 meters per second is associated with a high risk of pulmonary hypertension and that should be assessed and identified ideally before pregnancy. 
also blood pressure, urinalysis, retinal screening, and screening for iron overload should be done ideally before pregnancy occurs. Screening for iron overload is important because women with sickle cell usually have been exposed to multiple blood transfusions in the past. They can have a screening ferritin level. Aggressive iron chelation before conception is advisable, according to most authorities, in women who are significantly iron overloaded. Lastly, before pregnancy, women should be screened for red cell antibodies because of their prior transfusion history. The preconception visit is also a great time to review required vaccinations in this population. Remember, as we've already stated, patients with sickle cell disease are functionally hyposplenic and are at increased risk of infection, in particular from encapsulated bacteria like Neisseria meningitidis, Streptococcus pneumonia, and Haemophilus influenza. Women should be given Haemophilus influenza type B and the conjugated meningococcal vaccine as a single dose if they have not yet received it previously. They should also receive the pneumococcal vaccine, which can be given every five years. Hepatitis B vaccination is also advised, as is the yearly influenza vaccination. All right, when we come back, we're going to cover which prenatal vitamins are advised during pregnancy and which medications are allowed and contraindicated with sickle cell disease during pregnancy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Regarding vitamin supplementation in pregnancy in sickle cell patients, folic acid 4 to 5 milligrams should be given once daily, both preconceptionally and throughout pregnancy. Iron supplementation should only be given if there's lab evidence of iron deficiency anemia. Remember that iron status should be assessed and iron supplementation should be recommended only in the presence of iron deficiency anemia. That's in order to prevent excessive iron use and add into the problem of potential iron overload. Folic acid at the 4 to 5 milligram dose is recommended more than the 1 milligram daily for non-sickle cell patients because of the increased risk of folate deficiency from the hemolytic anemia. Folic acid for up to 5 milligrams daily should be prescribed during pregnancy to reduce the risk of neural tube defects and to compensate for the increased demand of folate during pregnancy. Now, regarding specific medications, hydroxyurea, which is commonly used in sickle cell patients, should be stopped at least three months prior to conception. Hydroxyurea has been demonstrated to decrease the incidence of acute painful crisis and acute chest syndrome in individuals with severe clinical manifestations of sickle cell disease. 
Hydroxyurea is teratogenic in animals and consequently, current guidelines advise that women with sickle cell disease on hydroxyurea use effective contraception and stop taking the medication three months before they conceive. Now, there are published reports of women taking hydroxyurea, both for sickle cell and for other indications who become pregnant, and some of whom have continued the medication actually throughout pregnancy without apparent adverse effects on the child. But nonetheless, hydroxyurea should still be stopped ideally before conception, and if not stopped before conception, should be stopped as soon as pregnancy is confirmed. Now, while hydroxyurea is contraindicated, low-dose aspirin is not. Women with sickle cell should be considered for low-dose aspirin, remember that's 81 milligrams daily, from 12 weeks of gestation onward in an effort to reduce the risk of developing preeclampsia. Now, while there is no specific evidence that low-dose aspirin decreases the risk of preeclampsia in women with sickle cell disease, such women are probably at increased risk of developing the condition so far prophylaxis can be considered. Sickle cell disease should be considered a mild risk factor and aspirin prophylaxis is recommended according to most scientific and professional guidelines. Additionally, women with sickle cell and pregnancy are at increased risk of venous thromboembolism, so consideration should be given to the use of prophylactic low molecular weight heparin during antenatal hospital admissions and the postpartum period. Remember that there is evidence that the incidence of venous thromboembolism is increased among these patients. At least the use of graduated compression stockings that are not occlusive can be given to use during their pregnancy. Actually, the Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, remember that's from the UK, actually suggests using low molecular weight heparin during the first seven days post-discharge after a vaginal delivery and for a period of six weeks following C-section because of the increased risk of postpartum venous thromboembolism. All right. That seems like a good place to stop part one of our sickle cell disease in pregnancy first episode. In part two, we will cover topics like blood transfusions in pregnancy. Is there still a role? How frequently are ultrasounds to be performed? And what about intrapartum and postpartum specifics? We'll cover all of that in our next session of sickle cell disease in pregnancy. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.